Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jesse, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Holo Holo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional, unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. On today's podcast, we, well, actually, Siggy <laughs> reviews, and for Filipino American Heritage Month, the house that Lou built by May Recipio, and we talk about displacement and dispossession later on. But before we do that, Sigs, let's catch up. What have you been up to? Kuya, have you watched the series on Disney Plus, What If? No, I've heard so much about it. Tell me and our podcast listeners a little bit more because it an alternate universe, multiverse Absolutely. experiment so of sorts, right? So it is right? a cartoon on, uh, streaming on Disney Plus, the Marvel section, and it is told by the perspective of this person called The Watcher, played by Jeffrey mm. Wright. And what's great is they take examples of what's happening, what's, in quote, Bible of the Marvel Universe, and they turn it on its head. So, for example, what if Captain America wasn't Captain America? What if it was Peggy Carter that stepped in there and got the powers? Mm. What's great, right. it starts off with that episode, and what's great, the voice actors are the actual actors in most of the scenarios. Oh, so amazing. you have, like... It's ridiculous. So I'm going to start on that. So the first episode's about what if Peggy Carter was Captain America? So she becomes Captain UK, for example. And you have, like, Sebastian Stan, Peggy Carter. I forget. She's in there. And it's fantastic. So they turn it on its head. It's half an hour. And, like, the second episode was what if Star-Lord was T'Challa? What if T'Challa was... And what's great about it, it starts, like, this heart-wrenching, like, oh, my God, and... You know what? Chadwick Boseman did film and he recorded and it was so wonderful. So he was Star-Lord and in that alternate universe, Thanos was part of his group. And Thanos is like, hey, what would you guys think if we took over? They're like, that's genocide. They're like, are you sure? And Nebula (laughs) is part of it, voiced by Karen Gillian. And she has a wig, a blonde wig. So it's just alternate universes. And it plays off really fun and like, what about this? What if happens this? And then it goes dark. So one episode is, let's say Doctor Strange doesn't lose his hands, he loses his partner. So Benedict Cumberbatch's character is driving away, and that part where he gets in the car wreck, he's with Christine Palmer, played by Rachel McAdams. And she dies. So what does he do? He goes beyond the ends of the earth to revive her. And he gets stuck. So it's almost like a Twilight Zone. Like, oh, what happens here? Or what if all the Avengers didn't survive? So they get pegged off and Mm. killed. It's like a whodunit. It's really interesting. And the last episode that just released was, what if Thor was an only child? There was no Loki. So he was this (laughs) partier. Oh my God. What's even better, like the Easter eggs were a plenty. So he takes over Earth. It becomes a party planet. He meets Natalie Portman's character. And like (laughs) Natalie Portman voices. And oh my gosh, Darcy voiced by Kat Dennings is on it. And like he, they turn it on his head and he becomes a partier and he needs to get his poop together. And they have to rate him in. And the shield people are like, okay, we, it's super fun. But what's great is there's an underlying theme and they're tying these things together. I think there's 
was like 12 episodes. It's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. At first, I was like, oh, this is a feel-good thing, especially the T'Challa one. It was wonderful and very kind. Mm. And then with Doctor Strange, it went to a different angle. And what if, you know, Iron Man wasn't saved, was saved by Eric Killmonger? Yes. Right? Like, Do you think that they're doing this to kind of like promote the idea that in some ways that this, you know, what we've seen in the canon is destiny in some ways? Or you think that there's a larger I feel like element I, I like the here. destiny. I like the way they're turning on its head and just creating this different side worlds, right? And they're going to unite it yeah. together. I do think with the canon, especially with Spider-Man and Doctor Strange coming out movies, they're looking at these multiverse right. type of things. But it's quite interesting. It hits light. It hits dark. A great little binge. It drops everyone. And a great way of explaining the multiverse. Oh, exactly. And the Easter eggs, like even the Thor episodes, there were tiny little things. You're like, hey, there's Howard the Duck. There's the, like these little things. Loki (laughs) wasn't adopted by Odin. So it becomes this giant purple creature and they're just best friends. Thor and him are like, hey, what's up? Like, let's do this. Like the voice acting, they're getting all these people. Like to get Natalie Portman to voice act. Chris yeah, Hemsworth. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you also know that contractually they're all probably yeah, they're bound. All, yeah. and they're all making money. All, all of this stuff and whether they know it or not and that they've got a particular time frame and yeah. provision period and stuff like that. But either way, like that still doesn't take away from it. No, right? absolutely you know, not. Like, it it's, is, it's super fun yeah. and I wait every Wednesday to watch like animation. What are you into? It's funny that you're, you were talking about animation, so I'll talk about that in just a second. But just to kind of give listeners kind of a clue in terms of what we've been finishing up. We've been finishing off Below Deck Med. Mm. And we know that the next Below Deck is also kind of coming up, their original flagship Uh series. But I just have to tell you, Michael and I, and more specifically Michael, is very excited about the two further spinoffs that are coming out. But the one that he's most, yes, there's well, two, two more, more <laughs> spinoffs. So so let's recount. There's Below Deck, which original. is the original, which usually took place in the Caribbean. Lately, it's been in the South Pacific Seas okay. lately. So in and around like Thailand, Indonesia, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And then there's been the spinoff of Below Deck Med. <laughs> and then there's been Below Deck Sailing Yacht. So instead of a motor yacht, a sailing yacht. But there's two, other spinoffs and the one that Michael is most excited about is Below Deck Adventure. <laughs> and so it's like, what is Below Deck Adventure? And it's like a motor yacht that actually cruises through the Norwegian fjords. He and would be into that. People, he's yeah. totally into that because it's like, you mean I get to see ice nice and, and the cool. tundra and the coldness yeah. and people doing cold adventure things in subarctic climbs? I'm totally in. So he's totally excited about that. That doesn't come out till next year. But <laughs> And then the other is like Below Deck Australia mm. and that's going to be coming out, I also think, next year. But what has been capturing us these last couple of months, actually, because we keep reviewing them over and over again, mm. especially at dinner time, is HBO Max's Oh, oh, oh okay. Sakes. I'm very jealous if you watch this. Tell the listeners about it. I'm very jealous. Go right it, now. It, it is such a satire on the royal family told through the eyes of Prince George, <laughs> who comes across as a 40-year-old gay man <laughs> who has much to say and is entitled because he knows that he's third or fourth. <laughs> Is it fourth? Yeah, it's fourth. Fourth in line if we count Lizzie. And so take every character and turn it on its head, and it is the worst version of themselves. Now, I know that it has gotten a lot of flack from people in the UK saying, like, this is blasphemy, but it's like, 
it's actually a strange love letter, strange yeah. albeit, but a love letter to the royal family. Because you see Liz, Queen Liz, <laughs> like, you know, shoot off, carries a gun. She's a gun-wielding monarch who has a potty mouth. We know that that's not who she right. is, right? You know, and people are like, well, how can you have Prince George look so entitled and stuff like that? And I'm like... Perhaps he yeah. might be that when he grows up, or maybe not. But like, who cares? It's a, an imagination, like creativity at its best in terms of like, kind of like what you were talking about earlier. What if this was the case? What if Prince George was actually a raging 40-year-old gay man trapped in a 10-year-old's body or oh my God. body or whatever the case may be? Uh, so, and Prince, Go ahead. Princess Charlotte is like this kind of would-be spy counter oh agents and stuff like that. And like the staff, the staff are just hilarious and... And Michael and I go around quoting the staff all the time. You know, so Prince George has this one butler and house servant named yeah. Owen. And, <laughs> and every time something wrong goes on, somehow Owen is to blame. And there's one line that Michael loves to quote where Owen says, oh, I see, sir, how I was to blame. Oh, my right? God. And the error of my ways. Or something. I'm, do- I'm doing a terrible job of quoting it. But like Michael says it all the time. It's like, oh, I see, sir, how I was at fault I just- here. You know? <laughs> Like, I'm still laughing because I think Owen has some... Was it George tells him, um, is my tea ready? Yes. Um, are yes. you stirring it counterclockwise like Mariah? And then he's like, uh, yes. Like, he's going the other way. And, like, the voice talent... And then he tasted it and he says, I know that you stirred it clockwise. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I'll allow it this one time or something like that. And he wants, like, Manuka honey. Which is right? $40 you know, which is like, a pop. You know, three, yeah. some, is it? I thought it was Costco. $300 Costco. an ounce or a something Costco, like that. It's $40. A Costco. Po- $40 a pop for a plastic, <laughs> which I'm sure is, like, lower-grade okay. Manuka honey. Yeah. Right. Remind me to go there next time to get my Manuka honey. I just is it so howl. Funny? I just howl, like... And he's all concerned about, like, being friends with, like, pop celebrities. But I think where we howl the most... Yeah is how they really poke fun at Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and like, and the ludicrous things, like, so, for example, how Prince Harry is constantly forgetting the name of his son, Archie. Oh, my God. And how they really make Meghan even more desperate than she appears and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh, my So, God. totally like, worth it. Clever, clever. Totally worth it. Yeah, I totally I to think it's it. worth it. I just hope HBO Max has the courage to renew it for three more seasons because I know they've been getting a lot of yeah. pushback, but I think that there's a genius there, that Gary Giannetti. <gasps> Who is married smart, to smart, Brad Gresky, right? That's right. Yeah, 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 and, like, that's the right. the vocal talent, like Orlando Bloom is Harry, Condola Rashad yeah. is Megan, Sophie Turner is Charlotte. Turner, uh, yeah. Is Gary Giannetti um, George? I think he is, and... It is a star-studded cast, actually, of everyone in there. And just amazed at how they're able to get people, even when they had, like, the real all, housewives all of them were on, on there. Yeah, because they love Gary Because they, they love Gary there, And I was like, how the fuck did you get them, you know, on there, right? I was just so incredibly impressed. Oh, my gosh. Like, It was good. Okay, I need it. to watch. And Nico Santos is on it because he was, Nico yeah, he Santos, was in it. Because yes, yes, he yes. was just like, so can we learn how to make tea? He's like, tea is the most basic thing. Because you just add yes. water. He's like... Are we going to learn how to do what? Make water? Prince Harry? Like- <laughs> so, the, so, folks, what happened was his Prince Harry was looking for a job, and so he gets hired at Starbucks. 
<laughs> for, for a day. And, and like the Nico Santos character, the manager is, I'm normally a playwright, but I'm, or an actor or something like that, but I'll be your, I'm your manager today. And it's like, great. And says, yes, I'd like to learn how, like, let's start off with your favorite drink. Yeah. Like, can we make tea? How about water? Yeah. You know? And, and it was just like, oh my God, they totally make Prince Harry out to be such an idiot. Oh, this is delicious. It's delicious, delicious, delicious. And if the, if the royal family can't watch this and make fun of themselves. Like, yeah, where's the humor? It's super funny. Where's the exactly. humor? Exactly. Yeah, it's super funny. So that's, that's what I've been up to pop culture wise, right? Nice. So, you know, from, from one side of the pond to the other side of the pond, we are still continuing Filipino American Heritage Month for this entire month of October. And as listeners, you may recall our season opener for number four, season four, I had spoken about Elaine Castillo's America is Not in the Heart. And so this time we pivot to Siggy, where you do or highlight another Filipino-American author. Tell us about who you read about. (gasps) Uh, I read a young adult novel called The House That Lou Built by May Respicio. And it's nice to focus on a fellow author. And what's even great, there's a lot of links to what Jesse read versus like a young adult novel that I read. So this young adult novel centered on Lou, Lucinda, Bulasan Nelson, Mm, a seventh grader living in San Francisco with her mom and Lola. This... When I read this book, and you know what? It wasn't a hard read. I mean, I'm a 44-year-old man or whatever. There's so (laughs) much to it because it was so simple and easy. And May Recipio is a young adult author. She is from San Francisco. And this story, I wish we had this book when I was growing up. And, Mm. like, she's a seventh grader going into eighth grade. And as soon as you open the book, you're greeted with Filipino culture from, like, Alola saying, Ay, naku! It's refreshing to read this, mm. to learn about Lou and her family life in San Francisco. You just stepped into it. And I know that we talked about the explanatory comma. It exists very lightly in this book. But Delaney, my daughter, could read this. Your nieces and nephews could read this and automatically mm. relate to this. And this is why right. I really i am glad that you and I focused on two books this month for the Filipino American Heritage Month. Because this is a story, a unique story, about someone in the diaspora very different, but with all the hallmarks of our culture. So to get a little bit into the story, Lou has a mother named Minda, who's a single mom, who's a medical technician who just got her nursing degree trying to make ends meet. She gets an opportunity in Washington State, much to the chagrin of Lou, who wants to stay with her family in San Mm. Francisco. Now, there is a little bit of a sad story to this. Lou's father passed before she was born. Minda, her mom, Mm. got pregnant, very young age, and instead of, she wanted to have a career like in the arts. Like, I guess Lou's father was, like, wanted to be an architect and she was going to go to design school and you couldn't with the baby, so her parents like, no, we don't do that. So she became a medical technician. They moved in with Lou's father's, her grandfather, and they lived with him until mm-hmm. he passed on. And then they moved in with her Lola and Lolo in a small space. Now, there's a lot of talk about small spaces and where a home is. And that's why the house that Lou built is a focus on Lou's father left a piece of land for her. And Lou thinks about making a tiny house on that land to stay. And she starts to work on it in mm. secret with her friends and her shop teacher, etc. And so the story unfolds as Lou's mom, Minda, is trying to find this job and wanting to uproot Lou. And that faded the piece of land. Her aspiring dream is to stay in San Francisco and build this house. So it's at the end of the school year, there's a barrio fiesta that's happening in their community. It's a fundraiser for Philly the community center where her 
grandmother goes to and there's shows there's snickling there's food it was just taking like a chapter from our growing up stories and just opening the book and right. going right into Wonderful. it it was just great like they talked about a seventh grader but like even just the use of like honorifics they didn't even have to explain right. like she has cousins or whatever and her friend that happened to be caucasian they called each other manan because that's what we do with cousins right like really simple like <laughs> very funny you take castillo's novel america's not the heart and then you have this young adult novel by mayra spicio and just taking a different angle right. to it but still taking this is part of our culture this is a story of a unique story of someone part of the diaspora not only about immigration but the story about living in the United States. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking about last episode, I talked about how that explanatory comma of suddenly gets us checked out because then we know that even though the story is about us, it, it isn't right. meant for us to read. It's for someone else that doesn't know what our lives are about. But when you get stories like Elaine's America's Not in the Heart or May's The House That Lou Built, where all these things aren't explained because it just assumes that you know or that you need to figure that out on your own. And I had described it in the last episode, refreshing. I'm just wondering if you find it also It is. Too. And when they talk about homes, they talk about like a Baha'i Kubo. Mm. So a Baha'i Kubo, again, my explanatory comma, are like houses built in the Philippines that are like on stilts. And part of That's the skits right. that they talk about, there's the flood and neighbors help a family by carrying the house to its safety. The author wraps it up very simply. This ancient tradition is called Bayanihan, community help. Bayanihan spirit, spirit. Yeah. And we've talked about it before on our podcast. It's yeah. just community helping each other, period, boom. Right, and they go right. into it. And the whole theme is about communities coming together and helping each other. And without giving away the story or whatever, like the evolution about losing the land that Lou's father had left to her, very important. It becomes about the community working together and the people supporting Minda and Lou and her Lola. But there's so many hallmarks in there that they talk about the immigration story and how it affects her, like a 13-year-old. And there's just one right. section I want to read to you because I just thought the way that she just explained it, Lou's in the backyard with her Lola in the garden. And this is what my mom does with Delaney and Mac in the backyard. Right. My whole life, I've watched Lola work this garden with her small but strong hands. When they first came to California, my grandparents picked asparagus in the spring and grapes in the summer and the fall. For days at a time, they'd leave my mom and auntie with relatives so they could travel for work. It used to upset me, hearing stories of how people treated them because of their dark skin and thick accents. And so Lola taught me that everyone has a history and theirs gave us a good life now. That's how sacrifice works, period. And it's just a small explanation. Like, this is something my mom would tell to Delaney and Mac. It was refreshing. Like, I, I probably will pass this book on to you because one of your nieces and nephews would love it. And I would probably read this out loud to Delaney, like, in two years. It's wonderful. It's This book is filled with it. They just talk about food. They don't explain it. We had lumpia. So, I, you know, I helped roll the lumpia and we were eating it. And it was just normal. It's like, oh, I just want to get milk and a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> I liked it. Like, this is a great example of a Phil Amstrad. I was immersed. I can see my kids read this. And even where she describes it well, like, they're going to visit Daly City In for California. a family yes, party. That's right. And the way that mm. Lou just describes it, she goes, you know, the stores are similar. I can see people green beans and uh, being, you know, stewed and stuff. It just feels like home. 
And home is more than just a place. It is a feeling. Exactly. Right? And it sounds like that that's kind of what Mace Thesis is about, is that your home is where your heart is, ironically mm-hmm. enough. You know, not to just purposely like to back to what Elaine was talking about in last episode, at least, you know, in Castillo's book. But it really is kind of like uh, home is a feeling and it's more than just a place. It's who comes together and it sounds like the community comes together, especially if they're talking about and being described the Bionian spirit that you were just talking about earlier, describing her. It was really refreshing. She has, Mayor has other novels where the lead characters just happen to be Filipino. And she has one Mm -hmm. story about a girl who's wanting her Lolo to stay in the United States, but wants to move back to the Philippines. And then she has this other Mm. one about a slime war where the main character is Filipino trying to be into slime. It's great to see these stories. I wish they existed. I'm glad they're existing now. Yeah. And that my kids can pick up these books and be like, it just happens to do it. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking too, these are stories that we're not used to hearing. We've been so used to hearing about kind of immigration stories, but it's interesting to now be told from what would now be, what, second generation Filipino Americans. I think that that's refreshing and that's great that we're getting to kind of hear about that. I just love the little nods, whatever her last name being, Bulasan which is almost reminiscent of Carlos Bulasan. Yeah, that's interesting too, (laughs) right? And I think, you know, the importance of Carlos Bulasan as being that Filipino-American poet and writer and really documenting, if you will, the Filipino-American experience. And so it's interesting that these two, although we should have done a taste test on Carlos Bulasan or something. I think we'll probably will, yeah. Yeah, and just kind of like maybe we'll think of it as a throwback because it it has been around for quite a bit of time, at least for the last 70 years. Either way, I, I find this all... Like there's a certain simpatico you're describing that we're describing this month here for Filipino American Heritage Month. The land that they were, I guess, was kind of like in the background. Was that in the Philippines or was that in It was in California. California. Her father had this little piece of land and what was so romantic, he proposed to Minda, her mom, on this piece of land and had created a little house a little dollhouse for Mm. Lou. And it was so sentimental and she wanted to go to this place and to build her house so they wouldn't have to leave. And so the the story was driven about the thought that they could lose this piece of land. And with them moving Mm. to Washington and Minda wanted to find a better job that paid more so they could live on their own. They didn't have to live with Lola. They didn't have to depend on other people to make more money. And Lou was like, but we have home here. Our family's here. I don't want to lose that. And that was like right. the underlying theme. And I, I'm leaving a little bit more because I really want our listeners like to pick up the book. I think it's a great book. Well, a very quick it, read. I'm going to actually have to pick up a couple of copies and send them out to one of my nieces and nep- nephews and then kind of maybe do a little bit of a young readers club. Yeah. Right? I was just thinking about this idea of losing land, losing your home. Yeah. To me, that's at the heart of the concept of what colonialism is all yeah. about. And I think typically when we think about colonialism, we think that it is about people losing land or land being taken. But I just want to kind of expand our definition that colonialism is much more than Mm -hmm. that. I mean, part of the reason why we do land acknowledgements at all of our episodes is to kind of recognize the land that has been taken or stolen, you know, depending on the particular form of land or the particular land that we're speaking about. But I think it goes broader than that. And maybe May Recepio wasn't thinking about this, but perhaps this whole narrative on land loss is really also partly a meditation on colonialism and that colonialism is actually about displacement and dispossession. So displacing people's cultures, 
displacing people, mm-hmm. you know, displacing people off their land, displacing their heritage, displacing their traditions and their cultures. And that it's also dispossession. And I think dispossession is different from repossession mm-hmm. in some ways. And dispossession is actually an act of depriving others. So again, depriving others of their land, their heritage, language, their tradition, and again, their culture. And I think as Filipinos, 500 years Spanish colonialism, 500 years Spanish missionary work and Catholic missionary work, 50 years of American imperialism, and today I would say global capitalism, Mm. the latest form of displacement in a lot of ways. It gets us, believe it or not, to do things. So if we think about domestic workers around being sent from the Philippines, capitalism is actually displacing them from the Philippines to go find capital to then be able to support their families. And I think as Filipinos, Filipinas, Filipinx individuals, to decolonize ourselves, we need to start asking ourselves the question of what's been displaced in us and what has been dispossessed from us. And it's a different way of thinking about colonialism. Mm -hmm. Again, traditional ways that we think about kind of like it's about taking things or taking people's lands, but it's actually, again, moving language, culture, traditions, identity from outside of yourself. Taking you off in the lands is just one aspect of that. I don't know if you have any thoughts about this framing of what colonialism is actually. No, I think it's a good explanation, Kuya, because I think we hear about it, especially what's going on in Canada, residential schools, and about it being removed from someone. I think the way that you're describing it is we hear about it, but that's the heart of it. That's what it's doing. It's depriving it. I think that's a, yeah. I haven't heard it described like that. And that's why I was like, oh, yeah, I th- colonialism as displacement yeah. or dispossession. You know, when you think about kind of like the residential school system, what is also heinous about that is that these are indigenous children that were not only lost their lives, but were probably dispossessed of their yeah. parents. And their parents been displaced and their whole culture been displaced through the education system to make them more acceptable to white society or British society or Canadian society <laughs> at, at the time. When I think about the last number of years that we have been meditating <laughs> on our Filipino-Canadian identities and anyone in the diaspora really f- contemplating about their Filipino identity in the diaspora. Some examples of that is kind of like when we talked to Joanna Kirby on Ah. last year and thinking about like learning one's language or not having full grips of that language. And I remember talking to our editorial feedback person, Mary Beth, talking to us, talking to me specifically about kind of like how language loss is very much not knowing Filipino language or Tagalog or any of the languages of the Philippines is a form of displacement where English is suddenly held in a much more higher mm-hmm. regard. And you would hear Joanna talking about that, how there was more use of English loan words. Now, yeah. Know, and less and less. Malalim Tagalog, yeah. right? Meaning like really deep Tagalog, you know. Um, so instead of saying this particular word, you know, people just use the English loan word instead. And so you slowly see it kind of creeping in that <laughs> way that English is becoming more the lingua franca <laughs> than the actual languages that were brought. And I think, you know, a stunning example of that is actually Hawaiian, you know, where Hawaiian was actually displaced oh. by English, where it was actually illegal, I think, at one point in Hawaii to actually speak oh Hawaiian until they started losing their culture and their language altogether. That's just one example of how 
you know, people's cultures get erased. Like language relates to culture so much that it explains a frame of mind and a frame of thinking. I think the other thing that we were talking about, you and I were talking about this, a lot of people had kind of brought this to our attention was Jim Agopito's Recovering Uh, Filipino Podcast. And I know you and I had actually gleefully listened to all of this Mm -hmm. stuff and had a fun time just kind of listening to it. For me, his podcast really represented and was an example of history, knowledge, and understanding of our traditions being displaced. And Jim's search for an understanding of our traditions and our history and knowledge of what it means to be Filipino or Filipinex or Filipina for that Mm -hmm. matter. I don't know if you thought the same way, but it was just very much he talked about like being Filipino-Canadian, but not knowing so much about that. And to me, it's a story of how colonialism has displaced that lack of knowledge about his culture and then wanting as his grandmother had framed him to be a better Filipino, right? Like his grandmother would say, you're a bad Filipino. But I think to myself, it's more than just being a bad Filipino. It's a displaced Filipino, right? Like not being in contact with you. Yeah, and understanding. No, no, I agree with you about understanding it and having a deeper understanding. Just finding that stuff. There's no bad Filipinos unless, you know, you're part of the Duterte bad politician. (laughs) But about being Filipino, you are Filipino. So you're trying to find all those levels and and understand and uncover those traits or those those customs. Yes. I know we talked about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that that was interesting. Like this, his whole podcast is a whole exercise in displacement and realizing the displacement that he's had, Mm -hmm. you know, where in this case, like Canadian culture has had a bit of a part, right? Where parts of Canadian culture aren't interested in actually knowing a little bit about what it means to be Filipino. And so it was interesting to see him and hear him go on that journey of sorts. You know, I think the other place that we sometimes get displaced a lot, and you and I constantly talk about this, is the pop culture landscape. And that there is apparently no room at the end for us. So in other words, like people have not made room for Filipino representation. And, you know, when we look at pop culture, it's like, well, where are the Filipino sitcoms? Where are more Filipino characters and stuff like that? And we're deprived of that opportunity to occupy that space. And how often you and I are constantly looking for Filipino representation in the broader North American westernized society, looking for more Filipino stories. And we know that things are coming up in the pipeline, but we've always had to find something adjacent. (laughs) So I think the other thing to kind of like think about in terms of displacement and disposition, I think listeners, if you're thinking about like what's been displaced or dispossessed within you, A, I think that that's what you need to be thinking about. But B, also know too that things like racial bias, institutional racism, internalized racism, so even our own thoughts about Mm -hmm. our culture, white fragility, and I might even say white supremacy are all social structures and instruments that maintain colonialism so that whatever is gets displaced or dispossessed from us doesn't find its way back into us in some way shape or form and that we end up becoming remnants and in the wake of colonialism at the end of the day and and i think something that we need to start thinking about is how do we decolonize ourselves You know, and I'm glad that we're talking about that because that kind of leads us to the fixing of the we, Mm -hmm. which is how do we reclaim our language? How do we reclaim our cultural identities? How do we 
reclaim our traditions and adapt them into our diasporas. And we're seeing examples of that. When I think about the Lost Shaman uh, podcast, Sam LaBelle reclaims Philippine mythology, and I can't wait to have her on the podcast soon, to talk more yes. about that and how she's reclaiming yeah. it, right? And, and I think about like looking forward to Joe Coy's Ooh, Easter Sunday. Yes. And like Joe Coy has been able to kind of slowly but surely find his way and sneak his way in to pop mainstream culture here. And so good for him for lobbying and producing and pitching what I'm sure to be is going to be a great Filipino ensemble comedy. I don't know if you've got like any other like examples. Well, you know what though? I think we can save to our other contemporaries and our colleagues, whether it's, you know, exploring Filipino Kitchens podcast, uh, Filipinos of Montreal, the Lost Shaman podcast, uh, Filipino Fridays, Living Hyphen, uh, Bacon Bits and Bites, like... We have a group of people, and you were popping up. When we started in 2018, like our first season, mm-hmm. we were looking, are there other yeah. Filipino podcasts? And look at us now. They're coming. There's more out there. Yeah, they're space. occupying spaces yeah. and stuff like that. And they're claiming, and I think to myself, to decolonize ourselves, we got to reclaim our culture, our language, our traditions, make them relevant in the diaspora, <laughs> and then occupy the space rightly. So the, the fixing of the week is ask yourself, what has been displaced and dispossessed? And what can I do to reclaim it? And that could be simply researching more on the internet. I love that the internet <laughs> and like libraries, archives of information, my superpowers researching, <laughs> research it. There's stuff, many things to learn about. There's stuff to read about our culture and our history and having to kind of discern all that's out there about who we are as a people that have been scattered amongst the 7,100 islands that we call the Philippines. And so it could also mean like taking a language class, taking some Tagalog classes. Maybe you want to subscribe to Joanna Kirby. That's a great uh, package and stuff like that. Whatever it is, whatever you think has been displaced in you or dispossessed, in other words, deprived, how can you reclaim it? And then how can you occupy space out there? So, that takes us to the end, Sigs. Anything to add before we just kind of close I think you up? put it well. Go out there, consume, find it, research, read. There's a lot of things out there. So I wholly agree with you on that. We love email. We want to hear what you think, especially about this episode. And as we wind down to Filipino American Heritage Month, I hope you enjoyed the two episodes where we focused on two Philam authors. And we want to hear more. Email us at holohollopopculture at gmail.com. The Holohollow podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Rate us. Leave a review. You can find us on social media, Twitter, our handles at holohollopop, and on Instagram at holohollopopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chell Turingen. We'll see all of you guys again real soon. And to all of our Filipino-American listeners out there, we hope you've had an amazing Filipino Heritage Month this past October. Bye-bye.